Welcome to the Cryptomaniacs Podcast. Join Taskmaster 4450 and John G. Olson each and every week as they dive into the crazy world of cryptocurrency. If you are new to crypto or you've been through a few bear markets in the past, this podcast is for you. It's time to start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to another Crypto Maniacs podcast on the Glorious Hive blockchain, streaming for review and pleasure on Vim, and uh, this will always be uploaded on 3Speak. Funny we mentioned 3Speak, Task. Uh, why, why is 3Speak a unique situation and, and, and a project to be discussing this glorious Tuesday afternoon? Uh, I don't know, because we like Dan and Starkers. Yeah. Okay. Eddie's been on. He's a nice guy. Eddie's the uh, nice guy. Yeah. Oh, 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 we have a guest. Oh, yes. Vaultech Vault is involved in a few different projects on Hive. And, and maybe one of them could be Three Speak. I don't know. No, yeah. maybe. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have very special guest, a, a, a new guest to the show, which means they get a badge task which is always exciting i love giving out badges but voltec from speak network three speak and a whole bunch of other things is here uh welcome to the show sir and um should it be all encompassing should we just say from speak network uh three speak uh, what's the well, brand I mean, here? Te technically uh <clears throat> vsc isn't speak network as i found out but there is some cross collaboration but uh I think you could just call it a house developer extraordinaire. That way he can, his tentacles can go wherever they go and all for the improvement of five. I'm my own brand. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show, man. So I, I guess uh, just, just to kind of get people familiar with, with uh, your own brand, uh, maybe just kind of give people, you know, a brief summary of how you came to Hive, your, your background with it, and, and um, you know, how did you stumble upon these crazy blockchain things and become a developer yeah. extraordinaire, as Tass said. Yeah. So it started in about 2015 or so. Um, I initially started, like, looking at crypto, and it's like, what is this thing here? Uh, this technology, I'm familiar about it. All right. So I started looking into it, learn a bit about Bitcoin and how it kind of underlyingly works. Uh, ran some like test nets and stuff to experiment with the, the code and like, how do I mint, how do I like mine Bitcoin and create this like arbitrary virtual currency that somehow people just create. Um, and I eventually kind of learned how that like mining process works. And then I end up setting up uh, an Ethereum miner because Bitcoin you really can't mine it with consumer hardware at that time. And so I mined a bunch of ETH uh, and then I ended up switching to Ethereum Classic when you really couldn't mine Ethereum anymore. It's too competitive. And then eventually that kind of died out as well. And then I switched to Monero. Um, then after a few years, I ended up uh, deactivating that and no longer, you know, mining any crypto after a few you know, earning, earning a few thousand dollars. Uh, and then I eventually heard of DTube at the time, around 2018 or so. And it kind of got pitched to me about like, hey, there's this video platform alternative to YouTube. Um, and you can earn rewards and get upvoted. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And so then I started getting involved with the project, you know, trying to experiment, post videos, etc. Uh, I learn about how kind of the underlying technology works, like IPFS, um, and I really start to dive into it a bit more. Uh, and prior to that, actually, I did learn about IPFS in about 2016, 2017. And initially, it's like, well, what, what is this stuff? I download the app, try to use it, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to touch it again. Uh, so then I actually start diving into it a bit more, and like, okay, so this powers the whole video platform. This is why it's important, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, at that time is Steam. So I had a Steam account uh, and I kept kind of experimenting. And eventually I started writing more code um, related to IPFS and related to DTube. 
Um, I eventually started kind of diving into other projects like uh, OrbitDB and other decentralized Web3 tech and really familiarizing myself and just kind of grown from there. Um, then eventually around 2020, it's kind of the spring to summer, I get approached by, by Dan and Matt. Uh, and they're like, hey, um, we have this idea. They, they initially approached me and they're like, we need decentralized storage. I'm like, okay sounds like you want it for the platform. It's like, well, we want it for the platform. And then we also want it for the whole community. And then after numerous calls and kind of talking about it, we eventually kind of start the initial phases of the speak network and like, okay, here's what we want to accomplish. And then of course, all the way through that uh, time, um, developing the speak network, three speak. Uh, and then the last like three to six months, I've been starting to work on VSC. Um, and so that is the uh, layer two smart contract platform that utilizes Hive as its kind of anchoring base layer. Uh, it's not standalone. It's, it can't be operated independently from Hive or any blockchain really, but it is kind of the layer two smart contract uh, system where you can create a smart contract and have it operate on its node structure. And then it ultimately kind of hooks in with Hive um, as its base uh, base layer. Um. So, so basically what you're saying, <clears throat> just to, to start with, well, before we get to that, we'll, we'll talk about anchoring later. Um, speak network. I, I think some people may have a little bit of confusion because speak network, uh, we've heard about honeycomb, which, uh, disregard for, he had another friend of the show, uh, uh, is is involved in that. I presume you you were involved in some of that too. <clears throat> and we know Delox and Delox is, uh, from our understanding, working on some smart contract platforms or, or capabilities. So I think what's probably popping into people's head is why do we have redundancy? Why do we need to? Why would you take your time three to six months ago, branch away from what Speak Network was doing and in your spare time, developing VSC. So uh, could maybe you could tell us the differences between them, what the focus is, and what really inspired you to kind of branch off on your own or tangent and say, I'm going to do something a little different and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. So the first kind of thing to compare the two, just directly apples to apples kind of thing, um, is the contracts that do exist in Deluxe are these very kind of like system level contracts. So you have each validator has their set of contracts that's operating. Mm -hmm. And those to upgrade them, you kind, of, you kind of need to have like the votes. So you need to have all the validators to agree to upgrade. Um, and the other thing is that those are all kind of, they're all effectively running the same code at the same time. So you have every node is running the exact same smart contract interface, smart contracts, uh, all the different contracts that are running, they're all running at the same time. And you really don't have this kind of open interface where anyone can hook in and deploy a contract. Um, the other thing is Deluxe, the Honeycomb software is mainly targeting tokens and very specific uh, kind of sets of use cases like the Speak Network and maybe some others. Uh, so you don't really see like the kind of generalist smart contract focus. Um, whereas like something I'm building is heavily focused on the smart contracts and the, anything that's related to tokens is much, much less, uh, much lower priority. Um, so that's not something I'm necessarily targeting right now at all. Um, it's mainly oriented towards building that generalist smart contract interface. Uh, and then aside from having those smart contracts, uh, also having um, a very strong core that allows it to scale um, and not just like scale in terms of being efficient, but actually being able to scale in terms of mass usage where you could have thousands and thousands of dApps operating on it. Uh, and that's a big challenge, of course. And to build it onto an already existing system, that's also a lot of work to do. Um, so I've kind of been branching off and creating the side system where I could just focus on these main things that I care about mm -hmm. and then really kind of mature that into a bigger piece of technology. Uh, 
so I've been testing that the concepts behind it. So like the VM and some of the validation stuff now with the multi-sig and trying to de-risk as much as possible. Like, Hey, this is what I want to build. And this is the technology that I'm trying to test. And then eventually move towards like bigger and bigger adoption where it's actually uh, a, a main contender in terms of smart contracts and eventually kind of more token stuff. But right now it's not really sufficient for any kind of token and that's not really the purpose of it. Um, but that kind of technology could be used for such a thing in the future. It's mainly mainly oriented towards the smart contract side. Okay, this, this brings up two questions. Uh, one that I have and one that <clears throat> was actually posted in the Threadcast. Um, you said you you envision or, or hope to create something that could scale to, to thousands and thousands and thousands of, of contracts. And you said that's not easy with existing technology. So my question is, how does VSC propose to solve that? Yeah. So first thing, all of the kind of data on the system will be on IPFS. Uh, some stuff might... There might be some exceptions like core transactions and core data, uh, but most of the data will be on IPFS. Uh, so that allows the actual system to shed the data. So like if you don't really want to have that information, you could delete it and then also shard it. So you can have multiple sections and slices of the network that only need to store so much information. So if I only care about the Splinterlands contracts, hypothetically, I can pin those uh, and index all of that data. And I don't really need to index anything extra. Like I don't need the uh, Leo finance contract or something else along those lines. I could just focus on that one set of uh, data. And then the other thing is the actual structure of these transactions is very kind of uh, lightweight. So all of the kind of data structures that exist can exist in that paradigm of where you're having stuff separated off and, and scalable. Uh, so each contract actually has kind of a folder on IPFS that every object is individual. So you can pull individual objects and you can pull the things that you want from that data and you don't need to like do a massive, massive indexing to get all of that information. So if you want like a list of NFT owners, that might be one set of a contract, but you don't need the rest of it. Uh, then the other thing is the actual incentive structure behind it. So everything is being done via HBD in the form of kind of a flat fee. So everyone pays a flat fee to the network. And then later on, you could do like staking stuff where we can uh, you stake some HBD and then that interest is used to pay for the transaction fees. But the, the then, then result is there is HBD that is being used to pay for the transaction costs. And then that HBD can be redirected to uh, executor pools. So these are groups of nodes that uh, execute and maintain a smart contract. And there could be hundreds of different groups per each contract or per each uh, contract out there. So you could have one group for one contract, one group for another contract, etc. And so the more and more of these groups that are created, uh, the more, the more it actually scales out. And so the core of the network doesn't actually change all that much. The amount of traffic on the core of the network doesn't increase a lot when you're bringing, when you're creating all of these different groups and creating all of these transactions to these different contracts. So if you had a Splinterlands that had a million transactions a day, that core kind of communication layer between all the nodes, which is the, the kind of anchor chain that goes on Hive, doesn't actually increase exponentially in uh, like traffic. So as long as there is a consistent amount of nodes that are on the network, which you're of course incentivizing that to happen, uh, it should increase the capacity of the overall network to uh, like counteract any kind of increase in volume. Okay, well now now you you stimulated another question before we get to, to the the one from tokenized. Um, there's seems to be debate 
within the developer blockchain developer world regarding smart contracts on chain versus off chain you know base layer versus layer two uh many people talked about uh, the the risk but i i think more importantly i i i i seem in, in my limited viewpoint to to believe it centers around scalability and when you look at let's say the ethereum uh cluster the evms those for the most part i guess are all base layer smart contracts so if you're the equivalent of a, a witness on ethereum you're running a, an ethereum node you would have to have that because that's in the base architecture if i'm, I'm understanding it correctly if your system with your system not every node has to run every smart contract because as you said you have these cluster of nodes so you could have these hundred nodes run this one smart contract then another smart contract pops up and it's 50 other nodes that aren't related to the first hundred nodes is that correct and uh, is my understanding of the different sides of the debate there uh is that is that how it is yeah yeah no that that's correct uh, and my opinion slightly changed on this in the past few days. I do think you need base layer contracts, but only for very certain things, uh, very specific things. So, but most stuff should be off chain. Uh, there just needs to be like that kind of base layer bridging between the core functionality of the chain and like a layer two. Otherwise it's very hard to kind of get that get those two systems glued together. But you do need to have kind of a mix of both, but most stuff should be uh, on the layer two. 95% plus should be on the layer two. All right, John, would you, uh, because I don't have my eyes on, would you read what Tokenize yep. asked in the Threadcast? Yeah, for sure. So this is from Tokenize Society, friend of the show, of course. Uh, what are some examples of things we can't do in Hive today that will be enabled by VSC. Yeah, so everything that you can do with smart contracts. So like being able to have the tokenized, uh, well, not tokenized immediately, but having ways that you could do uh, community, um, NFTs, uh, Splinterlands and games are a great example that I've been thinking about. Uh, like having those kind of operations happening via smart contract where like you have a list of cards you create matches uh, you can trade those cards all kind of happening through the smart contract code uh, and that code isn't really uh, like all that different from what would happen on your splinterlands backend so like on your splinterlands backend there's probably a bunch of javascript code or some other language that's being used to parse all of these events on hive and then create like database state in the Splinterlands backend. So it's taking that code or taking a, a, the code that can be uh, extracted from your backend and putting as much of that as possible onto the actual BSC smart contract layer. The other thing is you can actually, you can actually index that data too with uh, each node can actually index that to the same or similar-ish level that you would get with your classical database. So in the smart contract interface, uh, to, be, to be clear, this is longer term, but being able to, you can actually define like how you want to index this data in the database. And so you can do much faster searches compared to something that's not indexed. So you could do all kinds of interlinked data, uh, like this person owns this card, and I could relook this up, relook this up later via an API, and extract as much functionality as you can reasonably get from your backend and put it into a smart contract. Big like big compute and other things, not so much, but as much reasonable functionality you can do with this. Uh, we're doing the smart contract land. I, I actually, I got a question. You, you touched on something earlier where you said that there was a flat fee and stuff like that. So like my, again, my knowledge of smart contracts is very limited to what we have on like Hive Engine, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. If I wanted to start my own token, if I wanted to do all this, there's, there's massive fees involved on Hive Engine. What is this what that flat fee in HBD would, would entail? 
for for token creation for nft creation is, is that what you, you were mentioning when you said like a flat fee and if so like how much would that be like i think roughly. he's talking yeah. transactions fees like metamask right yeah, i'll you, give you uh, yeah sorry go ahead i'll give you guys a rough overview of the kind of fees so starting with just your basic kind of transactions like i want to interact with this contract uh that there's kind of a base fee to that so the smallest unit of hbd or similar and that's just like hey this transaction does cost something to execute the nodes have to go in and execute it index it whatever you have to do right and then that fee could maybe get raised a little bit if it's a big operation so like if i want to do a massive update i have to pay for that execution cost and then i have to pay for a little bit of the long-term storage but again that's not a lot of money uh, when you look at it compared to like your ethereum or others and when you get like staking involved and when you have like a very consistent pool of income to help support the nodes, it really makes it so that fee is insignificant and it can reward all the nodes involved well, well enough that it can scale outward. And in terms of like what you're mentioning with token creation, that's slightly different, but it's the same kind of thing. So when you create a smart contract, uh, what I'm thinking is there is a kind of incentive fee attached to that smart contract. So if you just create a smart contract, it's not going to get immediately deployed. There has to be nodes that are willing to join that smart contract. And then you also have to give them a little bit of incentive to join it. Why would you, why would you work on a smart contract if there's no, uh, no money behind it? You don't want a bunch of smart contracts that are just dead sitting out there. So that fee is something like maybe 10-ish dollars or so. Uh, it could be adjusted. I don't know what that exactly looks like yet. But there is kind of that incentive fee attached to those bigger operations. Now, if you're interacting with a smart contract, let's just say you have an already existing smart contract that's like an NFT smart contract, and you want to mint some NFTs to that, that's calling an already existing contract and calling an already existing operation so you don't pay anything extra to, to create that contract. It's just interacting with that already existing contract. And then you're just paying the execution costs and storage costs associated with that operation. So, okay. So if, if I'm understanding, let's say John decides to, to create a NFT smart contract. So he pays, let's say 10 HBD. He creates the contract. There it is. Now, I go into his contract and I say, I want to mint uh, 500 NFTs. Now, it's going to cost me, I don't know, I'll pick a, a number out of my, my head, like 0.005 HBD to execute with any smart contract in a basic form. Uh, and like you said, if I'm doing a major update or something, maybe it costs a little more. So now each of those uh, NFTs would cost me 0.005 HBD, so 500 of them would cost me, um, you know, like half, half, like 50 cents. Um, am I understanding that correctly? Uh, so the base fee would be for the entire kind of operation. And then if that operation costs a lot, it'll then kind of add it on. So it's not, it's not like on a per NFT basis. It's for oh, the entire oh. operation. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, because I, you I, can do bulk operations with all of so, those NFTs. So the, the fact that this is HBD has got to Taskmaster's attention right from day one, I can guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you should have you uh, seen me when, uh, when he told me, yes. Yeah, he was excited. <laughs> is this, like, you know, I, I, I don't want to play crystal, crystal ball here, but what, what would this mean for HBD, for Hive as a whole, let's say, that this is based on the stable-ish coin that we love so dearly. Like, how, how, what would you anticipate this would mean for, for, for Hive? Uh, in terms of just the token, like, like HBD. Or just like uh, use case order attention to it and more excitement. Like, just we're playing crystal ball, like, you know. Yeah, that's yes, kind yes. of a hard, hard, yeah. hard question to, to answer. But 
Hmm. I can try to try to give a rough overview. I mean, you're going to see like increase in demand for HBD because you're going to want that for transaction fees and staking and whatever is needed. And then you'll likely see an associated demand in Hive as well for doing that. Um, so you still need some Hive to interact with it. Not, not a lot since the operations again are, are off chain. Um, but then from kind of a broader sphere, like you'll see a lot more applications using this system and then bringing in a lot of demand for HBD for those apps. And so for those users, you could see like an app coming in and buying 10,000 HBD and then staking it and then using all that staked HBD to pay the transaction costs. And those kind of bigger apps, the more and more that they adopt this tech, the more demand for HVD there will be. Um, but again, that's all, you know, I, I don't even know what, what could happen there. It's up to speculation. <laughs> well, I think before getting to that point, I, I think it's, you mentioned that there are, maybe a few instances where base layer smart contract would be uh, preferential. That will not be on a hive at least anytime soon. Outside of those few base cases that you, you, you have in your mind, is it safe for me to say once VSC is constructed um, that even in the initial stages, it will be able to do most of what you can do with smart contracts on the EVMs, um, you know, again, there may be some edge cases that you're not going to support initially, but for the most part, if it can be done on an EVM, it'll be able to be done on VSE. Is that a, a safe statement? Yeah. So we're utilizing uh, a library called VM2 that basically gives us an entire JavaScript VM and in that JavaScript VM, we can plug a lot of APIs into it that you'd need for uh, the smart contract, either like getting the tr incoming transaction data or writing some state to a database somewhere. And so we're kind of bootstrapping all of that functionality immediately right off the get-go. We're not needing to write any code that's like building a VM or building any of that fancy tech. We're just taking that JavaScript VM and plugging in some more technology into that. Uh, I think Hive Engine uses the same tech, except it's all through the kind of Hive Engine uh, outside sandbox context that makes it so you can't really do stuff like this. Um, but all of that kind of like basic coding that you can do with an EVM, you could do in this uh, in this system. So, so basically, what you're looking at bringing to Hive is you're looking to basically replicate the EVM uh, technology, but tie it to a fee-less uh, blockchain that has a viable community tied to it and use that fee-less blockchain to anchor, uh, I'll say all the transactions, maybe I'm, I'm a little uh, amiss with that, but anchored the transactions in one way, shape, or form, probably custom JSON, to the base layer. And there's no per transaction cost with that, unlike what you get with the EVMs, correct? Yep. Yep, that's correct. So fast and feedless works again. No, it doesn't, man. Come on. We need to pay MetaMask and gas fees and all sorts. That's the way to do it, Task. Well, <laughs> initially, you're going to pay some HBD, John, so you, you get to pay your fees. Right. So you don't have to use MetaMask. You, yeah, you I know. Pay. Thankfully. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I I mean, to me, this is, and, you know, I know that question is was a little hard to answer, but I, you know, Task and I are, <laughs> are famous for being fanboys of the blockchain, uh, but it, it gets me really excited to hear about things like that because of, and, and I know Tass is going to roll his eyes, but use case, like actually saying, I need this to mm -hmm. do this. Um, I, mm -hmm. I have a question on the technical aspect. And again, Tass, don't make fun of me. Okay. This is not, I'm not trying to teach Voltec anything, obviously. Um, but 
how does this work when you're when you're staking HBD? Because you you mentioned it was off chain. Mm-hmm. So is this like you're taking the HBD HBD and staking it on VSC, or is this still just like it does on Hive, where you where you where you put it into savings per se? How how would that work? Uh, yeah, so that gets into more of the kind of structure mm-hmm. and how it interacts with the chain. Um, so I mean, we already kind of talked about the anchoring a bit, but there's something more to this. Uh, and so the validator set that exists, the main kind of validator system, that maintains a multi-sig on Hive. And that handles, uh, well, well, all of the kind of like block creation and anchoring happens outside of that, like per each validator slash witness account. Uh, but this multi-sig account actually acts as the on-chain bridge between what happens off-chain and on-chain in a fully kind of decentralized, trusted manner. So that's actually moving funds. That's actually staking and holding it in savings. That's holding funds for smart contracts. That's doing swaps in the future, of course, uh, and doing all of those kind of more advanced interactions on-chain. And so that allows you to, to write a contract that would be able to hold funds and then with the code of that contract actually move funds on chain so like if somebody was uh in a game where it's more like kind of gambling ish where they put in some money on both sides and it activates this contract and then whoever wins the battle gets the hbd or the hive or whatever token and it gets distributed from this account on chain so that's kind of the interaction point for all of the the staking and fee redirections. So when you pay your fee, that fee goes to this account. And then when the executors actually execute the contract, that fee gets released to those executors upon completion. So it takes in the HPD, the, those executors execute, and then those fees get redirected to all of those Hive accounts that are responsible for the contract. And so that's kind of the structure you would see. It's like you'd have the anchoring and then you'd have this multi-sig that would act as the bridge between all of the on the all of the off-chain data. And, and so just to add the second layer down the road, if you're talking about moving to a um, a, a stake-based system then the HBD that's in that wallet on chain would simply be dropped into savings. The uh, money paid out of, of, of that, the, the, the interest would then be claimed on a, a monthly basis. And that would be used to distribute effectively on the per transaction basis. So uh, I would somehow get some recognition if I put up, let's say, 20 HBD, and I send it from my wallet into that wallet, uh, the system would know that I have 20 HBD worth of transactions. And if I don't use them, I don't use them. So be it. But um, they're there if I need them. And then that's the the transaction cost on a per transaction basis, effectively, even though you, you may do it on a net basis. I don't know. But the transaction cost would then come out of the interest, correct? Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And would you do that on a per transaction basis or would you net that on a weekly or a monthly basis uh, where the nodes got paid, you know, once a week or once a month or something like that? Uh, I'd have to see how that work. There is going to be like a live balance available. Mm -hmm. So like this, that's actually going to be one of the more complicated parts of this project mm-hmm. is the the accounting layer. So like having all these nodes handle the accounting of like, okay, here's somebody who is staking and then that person wants to withdraw. When do we execute the withdrawal? Uh, how does the fee get redirected and making sure there's enough liquid in there that it doesn't run out, et cetera. Uh, but the reality is there will be some delay with the actual distribution of rewards to executors. Uh, so if like you um, you do a transaction and that fee is taken from your account and it's accounted for, but the actual HBD that needs to go to the executors hasn't been released yet, it's expected that it's going to take maybe some time. 
And mm. it's also expected that there is a withholding period. So you might get all of the HBD up front or, or some, sorry, some of the HBD up front, but then the remainder gets sent to that executor later on. So that incentivizes executors to not just go into a contract and join and then leave. They can act, they'll actually have to stay for a few months to collect the full amount of previous transactions. Uh, that way you don't have like just crazy stuff happening. It makes, makes it a lot easier to, to work with. I think. Yeah. And uh, uh, from the individual standpoint, if I throw up 20 HBD and stake it, and then I decide, well, I only want to do 10, I want 10 back. I, you know, it's the same thing as savings. I got to wait the three days for it to be released. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't get it back for three days. So three days later, 10 yeah. HBD shows up in my wallet. I I think that that's incredible. I, I think the fact, I mean, what John was asking before, I think the utility and John, I'm not against utility. I'm just against utility just, for value capture, I'm not trolling. for stable coins. I know you are. Uh, you can't help yourself. But uh, I, I think the utility for HBD skyrockets there. The number of transactions skyrocket if this platform uh, gets any use case whatsoever. And when you're looking at back end operations, when you're looking at NFTs, when you're looking at gaming, I mean, you, you, you look, if we get a couple of Splinterlands on there, um, or a couple type of Splinterlands, the transactions will be enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on the use case side, I'm already in the beginning stages of looking at various entities and trying to get them to use the platform. Uh, so over the next couple of months, I'm starting to, to do those kind of talks and continue that to see how they could benefit from this tech. Do, do you think there'll be any integration into three speak at all? Um, probably. <laughs> I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like. Cause I, I don't really know yet, but it's definitely something that'll likely likely happen in the future in some way or another. You'll build something in there. Yeah. That's awesome. That, that, that's fantastic. And I mean, it's something you mentioned, I, I picked it up, you know, at the beginning of the talk was, uh, you mentioned, you know, this web three stuff, you were really interested in it and all these apps. This is, you know, this is, again, kind of not necessarily on VSC, but more of, you know, your opinion of it. Are we are do you truly believe, like, I know task and I do, obviously, but like, you know, as a developer in this space, do you see how Hive is untapped yet? Is it ignored? Is there powers that be that are just like completely against it? Like, do you see the same stuff we see when it's when it comes to Web3 being so underutilized here when we have the best blockchain for it? Would you agree with that? Or do you, do you have opinions on that? Yeah, I think you need a lot of those kind of features in either the chain or something above it that make that make the difference to apps like smart contracts or good ux when it comes to counts but i really think the biggest issue that hive faces right now and web3 in general is really good products actual user apps that make use of the tech and then also make make use of it in a decentralized way as much as reasonably possible and actually gets people to use the underlying system. And I think you can see good examples of stuff that has succeeded, like Splinterlands onboarding thousands and thousands of users, but they're also struggling on the tech side of like, oh, they really can't scale. And they have to uh, create all of these accounts and buy more HP and do stuff through bulk systems and all this other things to, to work around those problems of high transaction costs when it comes to millions of users. And so you really need to have a kind of mix between what exists on the back end in terms of tech and actually products that face the users. Yeah, you mentioned that. I think I think that for for everyone that's out there that might be thinking of developing something, the user experience, um, you, you, you hit it on the head, man this will this will the problem the the solution for all this is more users and everyone says that the problem is like you said 
if you have a product that people actually want to use, they will come. They will come if it's if it's yeah. really easy to use and enjoyable, and they 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 actually want to use it. They will come, and I agree with you. Like the majority of the apps out there, just don't have that yet, for whatever reason. So, yeah, yeah. And the other thing, this is a bit more of a side comment, but mm. in terms of messaging, I think Hive needs to improve quite a bit in terms of like how it's communicated with the broader ecosystem. Uh, Cause everyone's on Twitter and everyone talks about Hive and we're in our own kind of group, right? We're all, yeah, uh, yeah, we, yeah. we're all talking to each other and we all kind of know what's up. Uh, but when it comes to the broader group, like there really is only so many Hiveians and that's only so many people, but then there's this much bigger ecosystem there. So the kind of me messaging that exists on these social media platforms needs to be much more like laser focused and then also actually integrating with these other platforms where where it's where you can like having on ramps from ethereum to hive having uh and not not i'm not talking about tokens i'm talking to just about like signups and stuff uh, having ways that these users can actually come onto the platform in a way that is very easy and seamless and then when it comes to like the messaging and people talking about this, it's very laser focused. Like, hey, you can log in with your Ethereum and you go on Hive and then you get this set of advantages on Hive. And then there you go. Like people will come. <clears throat> mm. yeah. And we're kind of already building that for a 3Speak. Like being able to go in with your MetaMask and log in and then post off chain. And then also eventually like actually have a proxy account on chain that's doing some of those other operations for you. But you need more of it. You need every app supports it. PeakD, Hiveblog, Leo Finance, everyone needs to have this tech integrated so that regardless of what front end you're, you're logging in with, you can mm -hmm. log in with Ethereum, Bitcoin, all these different systems. And then you can interact with the chain that way. And like also having good signups as well. So like if you want to sign up with your Hive account natively where you don't use any blockchain, just use some, I don't know, email password or SSO, all of those options should exist. And all of those options should likely be shared in some way. So like you don't have a separate account for 3Speak and a separate account for Leo Finance through your, your email password or something of that nature. It should all be kind of the same layer. Uh, and one of the things that we were talking about internally um, actually preparing for the uh, Las Vegas um, convention was doing a simple like 10 second signup system. So having a way that you could take like Google Authenticator or Authy, scan a QR code on the computer, enter in the OTP code, boom, you have a Hive account. Simple. You could do that across all dApps. It's using already existing stuff that you have on your phone and it just works. Doing something like that across every dApp amazing win immediate mm. like user adoption you don't need you don't even need an email password you could just scan a qr code enter in an otp code or some other code that's generated on your phone and you could log in very 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 easy for the end user and it makes mm. it look like it's just no different than web 2 or maybe even better than web 2 if you can minimize the amount of steps for that whole thing so th that's the kind of stuff we need to start heading towards with products and messaging and actual tech that's being built into those products. Hmm. For sure. I don't know if Task is frozen or if he's if he's no, still. No, I'm listening. You're there? just learning. Oh, okay. No, because you, you mentioned that you, you were having power issues and you might have. So I didn't know if you don't say anything for a couple of minutes, man, and you're just standing there. I know you're a robot and everything, but you know, like, <laughs> give us something. Uh, <laughs> so. Maybe uh, it'd be good to tangent uh, because there, there's some going on with Speak Network. And there was a developer call that uh, they opened up so people could listen in last week. And there was an announcement. And evidently, they're getting close uh, to some rollouts there over the next I don't know, maybe two months, three months, whatever the case may be. So do you want to give a, a quick update of where things stand with Speak Network and what are some of the hot buttons that people can expect in the near to medium term? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so first thing, 
We recently released our cluster rewarding solution. Uh, this is kind of an interim bridge between now and when we roll out proof of access on a full mainnet. And so we're doing rewarding of storing our three speak IPFS videos via hive up votes. So everyone, every, every node that's running can go in and uh, create, it'll, it'll create a post that's a comment under our main parent post. And then we do some validation on our end and then we would distribute an upvote. It's not perfect, but it's definitely a midway solution between proof of access. And so that'll help get people storing content ahead of time and getting all of that data stored and pinned. And when we actually, when we actually move towards proof of access, they could just change the software up and they don't have to do anything different. They already have the data. It's just validating it a different way. And so that gives people actually liquid rewards. Whereas like right now with the test net, we're giving them test token. And so this is actually giving people real liquid rewards that they could use to buy infrastructure and actually start expanding outward right now. Mm -hmm. And then when stuff happens with mainnet, then we could actually give them those mainnet tokens. And so uh, that's the main thing we have rolled out right now, um, most recently. And then in the following next couple of weeks to months, we're going to be doing some much, much, much bigger changes on the site. Uh, so right now we're working on refactoring the entire site from almost scratch, but not really. Um, the entire website will be redone from a UI perspective. A lot of tweaks, changes, modernized framework on the tech side. Uh, a lot of things changed in regards to flows. So like the sign up page will be different and the sign up flow will be different. Um, the upload flow will be different as well. So when you go to upload, it's not just big giant screen that has all these details and things you have to select and read through and all that. It'll be more of a guided thing where you can go in, drop your file, then you can select your thumbnail and to go through there and go to the different options. And so for actual users, that's a lot simpler, a lot faster, uh, less confusion. And same deal with the sign up, stepped through process uh, for identity connection, same kind of thing. And so there's a lot of changes around the site that'll improve the overall quality of it um, and visually a little bit improvements. And longer term, that'll also mature to even bigger things like having new features in the actual front end. A lot of the features are going to stay the same as what previously exist. Uh, but then that'll turn into larger features like doing monetization changes where you can have premium content that you're selling or have um, you know, other kinds of options available on the front end. And then in the back end side of things, we're switching from the old legacy back end to the new Excel core. Uh, so that's all new with the tech all open source. And that handles the signups, uploading, uh, all of the IPFS integrations. Uh, also handles some of the off-chain stuff as well. And that's much improved. So hopefully be a lot, a lot more stable than the current system. I also have like health checks and redundancy failure and redundancy checks. So like if one of our servers goes down, it can fail over to another server. Um, I also have improved database and all of these kind of things there on the on the backend side. And then kind of the bigger picture uh, is actually integrating the site with all of our off-chain indexing we have and the unit indexer. So right now in the desktop app, right now we already have the unit indexer integrated into the app, but also integrating that into the front end of the site. So all improved feeds that are directly indexing from the chain and then all of the off-chain stuff we're doing. So we'll actually incorporate those login options into the site where you could log in with your MetaMask or Bitcoin, and then you can post directly from those um, accounts. And then it'll, that'll show up no different than any other post on the site, uh, with the exception of maybe there's a long string URL that you have for your account, but it'll show up, you know, same, same video, same content, everything. And the other thing is you'll be able to comment on Hive posts so as an off-chain user, I can go in and comment onto Hive posts and I can follow Hive users. And we'll also figure, we haven't quite implemented this yet, but have a way where even Hive users can go in and respond to off-chain users. 
So like I can go in and I see an off-chain post and then I can respond to that post and follow off-chain users and do all of those things that you do on Hive, uh, but it's all off-chain. And this would in a way kind of force apps to use this system because could you imagine a scenario, a scenario where like a large percentage of your user base now has all of these different interactions and you're not showing it, like your front end is not showing this content. Mm -hmm. So you'd want to have like your peak these Leo finance, high blog, all kind of integrating this system in one way or another so that they can view all of this off chain data that is being created. And you don't have like a fractured system where some front ends don't, uh, don't have the data, et cetera. But we're not quite in that position yet to really demand all of these front ends to do it. But longer term, that will be something that the front ends will wanna start looking at to actually integrate the tech and have it. So there's no like confusion between front ends and the, and the users, of course, cause they'll, they won't like that. <laughs> As you were talking and I'd like your opinion on this. We, we're accustomed, which is rather interesting because the financial world, the, the, the monetary world, uh, monetary system, which is basically a series of networks, digital networks. You got, you know, if you're traveling overseas and you're in Australia and you, you use your visa card to, to make a purchase in, in Australia, mm -hmm. you got the, the point, of, uh, point of sales network. You have Visa Network, you have, because you're dealing in Australian dollars, the Central Bank of Australia, you'll have that merchant who will have a commercial bank. Then you got SWIFT Network, you got maybe uh, CHIP. Then you come back, you got the Fed, you got your own commercial bank, you got Visa, on and on and on. And all these networks interact with each other. I mean, they're separate, but they're kind of, they, they kind of interact with each other. But you go into the internet and you got Google. And that's different from Facebook and that's different from Twitter. And they're all different networks. They're all siloed. That's by design. And so what we're doing is our natural tendency is, okay, what's going to be the Twitter killer? What's going to be the YouTube killer? And as I'm listening to you talk about three speak, speak network, IPFS, the smart contract platform, and I'm thinking about some of what Starkers talked about with the integration and the ability to upload three speak or two, two speak network or to three speak from Easency and maybe Leo Finance and uh, ActiFit and maybe some of these other apps uh, incorporating this in. And then I'm starting to think, well, what happens if the Leo Finance team starts to or the Leo Finance community, excuse me, starts to house their own content is the youtube killer just uh, the future youtube killer not one front end or one application but is it thousands upon thousands upon thousands whereas um you know pick somebody uh who's the guy who just got fired from fox tucker carlson uh, the Tucker Carlson community, he starts making his own content. They host his own content. It's a video platform or it's a, it's a, a social media platform that he develops, if you will, for his community. And they all house, house his videos. And all of a sudden, it's not just everybody goes to YouTube to see these videos. You go to T Tucker Carlson or you go to the New York Mets or you go to Real Madrid or you go to Splinterlands.io or you go wherever and you get your video content. Is that the future? I mean, you're gonna see, the, the way you're gonna kill YouTube is having a shared protocol and then the good products. The main thing will likely be, well, probably both of those, but with the shared protocol, that is the way you bridge all of this together. Because if you have a bunch of front ends all fighting for dominance and all fighting for user content, that's going to be very bad since you really won't have a lot of, in, you won't really have a lot of innovation. And for the users, you're also going to have a lot of kind of like, do I choose this platform or this platform, or this platform, when the reality is all of these front ends are just skins to the same thing. And we don't really know what the right skin is yet. Like you might, somebody might like bit shoot, although it's bad, not, not all that great of a front end in my opinion, but somebody might like this front end or that front end. 
and then they but they're all using the same kind of layer and you already see kind of that thing happening but indirectly uh, there is lots of people who make parody accounts of popular creators and then just clone their videos and post them on BitTorrent or on 3Speak or other places. And so you already see like content mirroring happening a lot and you're not going to really be able to stop it. So why don't you just create a layer that already does that for you without needing to, uh, without needing the user to do any work and without the risk of a bunch of people just copying the content and trying to make a buck or two off of it. And then you all, you get all the same benefits as the, as trying to do a bunch of mirroring, but you have the same shared protocol, same data. You're not needing to redundantly store it and do all this other fanciness to, to accomplish the same kind of goal or the same, the same goal that the users want at least. Okay. So what, what you're saying is if, if Tucker Carlson's site uses this protocol and the NFL uses this protocol and Real Madrid uses this protocol. And so you get all these different essentially front ends to use your term using this protocol. If I go in through leofinance.io, uh, I'll be able to access the NFL stuff because it, it's all in part of the same protocol. It's just changing where I I'm just using a viewer essentially. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the NFL will probably have their own site that's hooked up to their own community. But if you go to a front end that has uh, it set to every community, you could just go on their community, see the same videos and you're good to go. You can oh, okay. So you'll have NFL, which will just restrict to NFL content. But if I go to whatever the version, let's say Peak D, and Peak D says, screw it, we'll just, whatever's in this protocol will show you just search for whatever you want. Yeah. Then you can delve in through, through a general purpose app like Peak D and see whatever you want. Yeah. And there might be yeah, a thousand exactly. Peak Ds. That's pretty slick. That's pretty slick. Dude, um, so much going on. Um, I, I mean, obviously, like I mentioned, Task and I are fanboys of Hive, but beyond that, just massive fans of 3Speak. And it's it's the one app on Hive that I really don't use the Web 2 version for uploading stuff. Like, we're streaming it now, but... I don't use YouTube. I use 3Speak, and I think Task uses 3Speak exclusively. Uh, you guys are crushing it for, and here it comes, Task. Ready for it? Actual use case. <laughs> um, I absolutely love 3Speak, um, everything about it, and um, just uh, appreciate you, man. Appreciate everything that you're doing, and, and Dan and, and Matt, and just the whole team there, and Eddie, and just top to bottom. This is one of those apps that I scream on mountaintops for all my members to start using more and more. So appreciate you, man. Appreciate you um, stopping by and sharing with us everything you're working on. Um, and um, Pre appreciate you troubleshooting when we can't upload our videos. That's, I was about to say that pull too. our hair out. Vault yeah, help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah Voltec, please help, dear sir. Yep, that's help. my job. <laughs> Actually, we we all ping Eddie. We just attack Eddie, and Eddie said, "Already de notified developer. Shut up." Okay, Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Eddie can I, Eddie can actually solve some of these issues. Um, well, specific things, but bigger stuff, I have to uh, I have to deal with. Um, and going forward, like hopefully with the back end, uh, we can get like with the new back end, we can get to kind of the similar state where like non technical people can help solve some of these problems as much as we can. Uh, so then uh, like, time, like time zone conflicts don't happen where I'm unavailable for eight hours because I'm asleep or something, you know, you have other people be able to check it or see what's happening. Um, and we'll also have like status pages and things that could show you what's happening once we, once we get to that point, but yeah, all good stuff ahead. For sure. Well, one final question. You mentioned non-technical people and I, I meant to ask this a little earlier, non but, uh, with these nodes, uh, obviously node operations are, are a business. 
And is this a situation and, and the number of nodes that you're talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing upon uh, VSC right now. I mean, when you talk about like 50 mm-hmm. nodes for a smart contract, my presumption is you don't want one entity setting up 50 nodes. You want 50 entities setting up 50 nodes. So that way you have the, the, the decentralization and the redundancy and, and all of that. Uh, is this a situation where these nodes, even for Speak Network, um, all these different nodes where John or I could seriously sit down and say, you know what, this may be a great way to develop some nice income for ourselves if we go out and we set up all these different nodes or or do these different things. Is this stuff that's going to be applicable to non-technical people or is this only the block trades and the marky marks and the developers of the world are going to be able to, to do? Ideally, non-technical. Um, you still will need to have the knowledge to set it up, like buy a server and log in and then put the software on there. Uh, what I'd like to see in the longer term is have something where Privex can set up these nodes for the user, like through kind of the same thing with like the Hive, Hive in a Box service. Uh, that being said, like you're dependent on Privex in that case, but similar kind of things where you could just go to a service provider and set them up if you really, really want to. Uh, but the, also the software itself shouldn't be all that complicated. Now, in terms of what it's doing, you really only need your Hive account. Uh, like you need to enter in your Hive details of your posting key and uh, active key as well. And then, of course, name. And then everything else, it'll kind of auto-config. But then I'd need to think more on on what what exactly is needed there. But ideally, it should be something that's fairly basic and simple to set up. And then it'll do the parsing and everything there. You'll still need to, of course, have a decent, well, not not very big of a server, but enough of a server that it can handle the node. Um, Like I'm talking only a few hundred gigs of space and maybe uh, eight terabyte or eight, eight gigabytes of Ram, but just enough that it can handle the node. It's not something you really want to cheap out too much on, but just a a little bit of a a decent node and then just set up all the details in it, plug in all your details and then it'll just work. And then when you actually get into the validator set and you're like in the top consensus, you'll get automatically added to the multi-sig. So it'll just do the multi-sig rotations on a schedule, and then you'll be added in there if you're high enough or if it's doing some other kind of schedule that it's, that it's allowing you in there. Uh, and as long as your node is alive, you'll be part of the network. And if your node fails too many health checks, either it fails to produce blocks or it fails to respond to other nodes, then it'll just get removed and deactivated until you do something manual to reactivate it. But yeah. There you go. Task is going to get into the node business. I can see it already. Um, I haven't yet. So I I was thinking more you so then we could get block traits on. I could just listen to you guys talk about servers. Yeah, you should should have saw me this past weekend begging Eliana to figure things out, which she did. So big shout out to Eliana, who's becoming the tech genius right now in our little operation here. So. I'm just saying, don't leave mm. anything to me, Voltec. As you know, you've probably dealt with enough of my discords. Dear sir, please help. Doesn't work. So, yeah. <laughs> You're that specific, huh, John? Oh, dude, I was like, uh, you know, what's wrong? What are the errors you see? Uh, it doesn't go bleep bloop. It just doesn't say anything. That's, you know, again, yeah. I'm definitely not. Anywho, this is definitely not the tech maniacs podcast this is the crypto maniacs podcast and um once again voltech thank you so much for everything you do man everything you're building uh appreciate you man and get ready for your badge i know you're excited badge is on its way <laughs> would you mind asking voltech right. what your what power will determine the top block producers um, i guess he's right talking- now yes yeah yeah uh right now it's just centralized consensus but in terms of actually like the production network that would be something like the staked hbd in forms of votes 
So same kind of DPoS model, but it's using HVD, staked to HVD. And then that HVD interest will, of course, help be, will, of course, be used for the um, infrastructure to some extent. And then some of it also will be used for the validators. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to structure the interests on the staked HVD, though. That's not, um, that's not for transaction fees. So I'd have to do some more thinking on that, but definitely something where you're staking and then that DPoS vote is used to determine the top validators, top block producers. Heck yeah. There you go. Cool. All right, guys, thank you again. And uh, thanks to everyone in the chat. Yeah, thank you guys. And um, yeah, make sure you check out... Uh, Voltec and all of the Speak Network and Three Speak stuff that's going on. Uh, it's a must on the blockchain. Toodles. Well, one, one other account, bsc.network. I believe that's it, right, Voltec? bsc.network is. Yep, bsc.network. Thanks for listening to the Cryptomaniacs podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to hanging out with you again next week.